This letter is from Paul, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father, who raised Jesus from the dead. All the brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to the churches of Galatia. May God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned, in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. Well, today we begin a six-week message series on the New Testament book of Galatians, and I cannot begin to express how excited I am for this series. So I hope it shows in my face, in my preaching, all throughout this series. I am so excited. Um, But before we dive into the message today, I have a couple of thoughts that I want to share with you that's really going to set the stage and kind of prepare us for where uh, we're headed. Uh, Thought number one. Um, I've prayed about this series for a long time. I've wrestled with how to do this series for a long time. And I've gone back and forth between doing a verse-by-verse study of this book that would take uh, 10 or 12 weeks, and then also uh, something on the other end of the spectrum, doing more of a topical study that would take three or four weeks, uh, highlighting just a few of the truths that Paul passes on to the church. But in the end, I decided on a combination of the two. So throughout this study, we're going to read through uh, most of Galatians, and as we do, we're going to highlight the main truths that Paul was trying to get across to the church. And because we're going to take this approach, there's going to be things that stand out to you that I might not cover. And there's going to be verses that you see that I might not uh, set up camp on. And I want to say this from the get-go, that's okay. All right, if there's something that you see and, and it's not talked about or mentioned, that's okay. And that leads me to my second thought for today, and that is uh, to give you an opportunity to express how God is speaking to you throughout this series through his word. Um, we've set up what we're calling our freedom wall. So if everybody would look just in the back corner over here, we have a, a board back here that's called the freedom wall. Now, our theme for this series is going to be uh, set free to live free. And this theme is going to begin to make a lot more sense as we go through the book of Galatians. So this freedom wall, why is it there? Well, it's there so that you can write verses and thoughts and prayers um, that that God puts on your heart as we go through this series. Um, It's meant to be anonymous. Everything is set up over there so you can write these things down. And it's meant to be shared with the rest of the church. It's meant to be um, a word of encouragement as we go through this series, as we wrestle with the truths that we're going to come across. So thought number three, we have a few of our growth groups or small groups that are going to be going through a study that goes right alongside Galatians as we go through the messages. So uh, this morning, if you say, you know, that sounds kind of fun, or I'd like to have those studies for myself, um, we have developed some small group studies in-house that go right alongside this study. So on Monday mornings, you can contact the office and you can get a copy uh, of the, the study from the week before. So for instance, today's message, if you'd like a small group study uh, for a group or just for a personal study, you can get that tomorrow morning just by calling the office. Those will be available. So let's switch gears for just a moment. And I want to talk a little bit about the context of Galatians. Before we get into the content, we have to set a foundation for where we're we're headed. Um, So Galatians was written by the Apostle Paul. 
And we know this because, um, like all of his letters, Paul identifies himself um, really in the first couple verses, and specifically here in the first verse of Galatians. Um, Paul says, this letter is from Paul, an apostle. He says, I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. So Paul identifies himself as the author um, as well as being an apostle of Jesus. Now, that word apostle, um, we don't throw that around a lot these days, but an apostle was different than a disciple in that an apostle is someone who is specifically chosen by God um, to be sent out for a specific purpose. Um, We read in scripture and we know that all followers of Christ are disciples, um, but not all followers of Jesus are apostles. And we're not going to get into that too much today. If you'd like to talk a little bit more about that, I'd love to have that conversation. Um, So we'll just kind of leave it at that. But Paul was an apostle of Jesus. He was chosen not by any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father to be sent out for a specific purpose purpose. And that purpose is going to make itself known as we go through this study. Now, we call Galatians a book. You know, we'd say the book of Galatians or the book of 1 Corinthians, but um, it really is a letter that was written to multiple churches throughout a region known as Galatia. Um, Now, Galatians chapter 1 verse 2, it fills us in on who this original audience was. That's important. Anytime we read God's word, we, we have to understand the context before the content. So we need to understand who is Paul writing to and what was his purpose? Well, in verse 2, it says, all the brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to the churches of Galatia. So these churches, we believe they were located in what we would know as modern-day Turkey. Now, this is really fun. Um, I like to look at maps. Um, Our family, my boys like to look at maps. who, Who else likes to look at maps? I mean, it's just fun to do, right? So you can actually go uh, look at a map when you get home, look at modern-day Turkey, and you'll start to notice some of the places that Paul mentions throughout this book, as well as throughout the New Testament. It's really neat to see that. Now, let's talk a little bit about the purpose of this letter. It really is twofold. And and you could go a little bit deeper in this, but I'm going to give you just kind of the overarching theme of this book. So first, Paul wanted to address something very important that God had put on his heart. And that was that false teaching had made its way into these churches. So Paul wanted to write to them and address them about this. See, Paul was the one who originally helped establish these churches. Paul is a, is a church planter. That's, kind of, that's who he is. He's pretty intense. When I think about New Testament characters like Peter and Paul... And we're going to actually see that they have a little bit of a conflict later on in this book, in this letter. Um, I would have liked to work with Peter a little bit more than Paul. Paul was hardcore. He was intense. All right. And you're going to see that in his, in the, in his language, the way he talks to the church. He doesn't really beat around the bush at all. So he, he helped plant these churches and initially they were really successful. People were coming to know the Lord uh, for, for the very first time in this area. But something happened. After Paul left his friends in Galatia, these Jewish Christian teachers, that's kind of a mouthful, but these Jewish Christian teachers, they came into the church and they started teaching a gospel that was different than what Paul originally taught. So these teachers, they were insisting that you could not be a follower of Jesus unless you also kept the law of Moses as well as the hundreds of man-made laws that had been created. It was all about works. It was all about the law. We're going to talk about why this was and why this is such a huge deal 
in our churches today as we go throughout this series. So Paul felt the need to write to these Galatian Christians because they had so quickly accepted this false gospel, this, this false teaching. And what blows my mind is that they did this with the same excitement, the same enthusiasm as they did for, from when Paul first preached the gospel to them, uh, the true gospel. See, the main thing these Jewish Christian teachers were adding to the gospel was that you had to be circumcised to be a true follower of Jesus. Th- that was the underlining of this message that they that they were giving. Now, we all know what circumcision is, all right? I'm not going to draw a picture for us this morning. So I thought that'd get a little bit more of a laugh. It's okay. It's okay. It's early. Stretch a little bit. (laughs) It's important to point out, though, circumcision meant something a little different uh, to this group of people in this time. See, circumcision uh, really was a physical rite of initiation into the Jewish faith. So if you're a man and you're not born a Jew, if you wanted to become a Jewish convert, you could only do so by being circumcised as well as observing all of the ceremonial Jewish laws. So imagine this with me for a second. You're a grown man. You've just believed in Jesus, the Messiah, the one who was promised for generations and generations. Your life is changed. Your eternity is set. And then someone comes in and says, by the way, to be a true follower of Jesus, you have to be circumcised. Run for the hills. <laughs> All right? That would not fly with me. But, but people were grabbing onto this lie, this false gospel, and it was affecting the entire church. While circumcision had been an important tradition throughout the Old Testament, it was important to the the Jewish faith in the past. As we read the New Testament, we learn that it is not at all part of the true gospel of Christ, and it has nothing to do with our salvation. So that's really the first point. Paul's addressing a false gospel, false teaching in the church. The second point of writing this letter was this. It's to remind the body of Christ about the true gospel of grace, to remind them that in Christ, we now live a life of freedom. See, throughout this letter, Paul reminds us of our liberty in Christ. In other words, freedom from the law and from the power of sin in our lives and the freedom that we now have to serve Jesus with our lives, not under a set of rules and law. You see, these, these Jewish Christian teachers, many of them believed in Jesus, but they taught that to be a Christian, you had to pair other things with Christ's work on the cross. And I just wonder if we do this in our churches today. I wonder if we do this in our culture today. So, for instance, they would say, you can be a Christian if you believe in Jesus and you're circumcised, that equals salvation. Or Jesus plus following all of the rules and the law, that equals salvation. As we'll see throughout Galatians, as well as the rest of the New Testament, Paul taught that we are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus. And you can put a period on the end of that. We're going to talk about this throughout the series as, as we go, but as we do, you're going to see our theme, um, set free to live free, show up again and again. So like all of Paul's letters, there's a natural progression, a natural flow to the way that Paul writes. Galatians starts out by addressing the personal issues. So in a way, he's kind of talking to you as an individual. 
He's talking to the family that would, that would be worshiping with the larger body of Christ. And he's talking about what God's grace really is and how you and I are justified or made right by God through faith in Jesus. So he starts with the personal issues, and then you get into chapter three and four, and he talks about the doctrinal issues. So he moves a little, a little deeper into what, what, it, what really is grace. We talk about grace, but what is it really? And how does that relate to the law and to works? And I'll be the first to admit, there's, there's a lot of confusion in our culture today about what it means to live under the grace of God and how that is paired or shouldn't be paired with law and works. And we're going to talk about that as we go through this series. There's a lot of important questions that arise with that topic. And then Paul finally wraps it up and he addresses the practical application of what he's talking about. Now, I don't know about you. I like the practical application. I like learning, but I like to see how do I apply this to my life? So Paul's going to talk about if you have received God's free gift of grace and forgiveness in your life, how does that affect the way you live for Jesus every single day? How should that change our lives? So Paul begins his letter in typical Paul fashion. He, he identifies himself as the author. He addresses who the letter is for, and he includes some kind of greeting. But Galatians is different from all other New Testament letters that Paul wrote in that Paul quickly switches gears. He quickly changes his tone because the issues that he is addressing are serious ones. So he gives this short greeting, and, and in other books you'll see that he kind of continues with that and talks about what they're doing right and, and, and talks about how he misses them and he wishes he could be with them. And you're going to see here that Paul changes gears really quick. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. This is going to be our text for today. Paul writes, I'm shocked. Another word for this is angry or upset. He says, I'm shocked that you're turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy or grace of Christ. You're following a different way that pretends to be good news. But it's not the good news at all. And you're being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. And then this part is, is, is troubling Verse 8 is troubling. He says, Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven, who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preached to you. I say again what we've said before. If anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. The first point that I want to talk about this morning, if you're taking notes, is this. Paul reminds the church about the true gospel of grace. Paul reminds the church about this, this true gospel of grace. In verses six, uh, verses 6 and 7, what we just read, he says, I'm shocked that you're turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy or grace of Christ. He says you're following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but it's not good news. That's what the gospel is, right? It's good news. He's saying this gospel that you're following, it's not good news at all. It's, it's false news. It's bad news, but you think it's good news. He says you're being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. So what is the gospel? 
What is this, this good news of grace that Paul is, is so often reminding the church about? We have a couple of common uh, human definitions that we typically use. And I think these are very helpful because they help us understand what grace really is and, and what the good news, what the gospel really is. So I'm going to share these with you this morning, but then I want to go to God's word and see really what scripture says about the good news and the gospel. So first off, the gospel is the good news that God has entered the world in Jesus Christ to achieve a salvation that we could not achieve for ourselves. And then when we talk about grace, grace is God's unmerited favor of us. Grace is getting something that we don't deserve. So these are the human definitions that we most commonly use, and you can kind of reword them or change them around just a little bit, but that helps us understand the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And while these definitions can be really helpful in helping us understand what Paul is talking about, it is more important that we go to God's word so that we can see what these Jewish Christian teachers were twisting and what these early followers of Jesus had so quickly abandoned. It's important because we don't want to make the same mistake. Amen? So I'm going to share kind of rapid fire some verses for you this morning. And I'm giving you these. They are in context with what's around them. So please feel free to go and read these yourselves. But this is Paul defining the gospel, defining grace for the church. If anything else um, is heard this morning, um, hear God's word and and let that be what you take with you today. Galatians chapter one, verse four, we read this together. He says, Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God the father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. And then we get to Galatians two, verse 16, and we're going to talk about this in a couple weeks. But Paul says, yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Jesus Christ so that we might be made right with God because of our faith or our trust in Christ. Not because we've obeyed the law, for no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. And then we jump over to Ephesians chapter 2. Again, Paul writing to the church, uh, verses 8 and 9, he says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. Period. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. So this gospel, this good news is a gift. He says, salvation is not a reward for the good things that we've done. So none of us can boast about it. And then we get to Romans. Romans is a wonderful book. It talks more about grace than any other New Testament book. And, and for good reason. But Romans 3, 23 and 24, we read this last week. He says, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's perfect standard. Not a person in this room this morning has, has met God's standard, has fully kept the law. We fall short, we sin. And he says, yet God in his grace, that, that unmerited favor, he freely makes us right in his sight. And he did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. Romans 5, 1 and 2 says, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith. So this is addressed to Christians, to believers. We have peace with God. Because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us, because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand, we're planted there. He says, and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. One more verse for you this morning. Romans 6, verse 14 
Sin is no longer your master. If you're in Christ this morning, you need to believe that promise. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom, the freedom of God's grace. The Apostle Paul uses this word grace over and over and over again in this letter, as well as throughout the rest of the New Testament. In fact, Paul talks more about grace than any other New Testament author combined. And if you're like me, you have to ask this question, why? Why why is that such a common theme of Paul's? And you could say, well, it's because he wrote uh, two-thirds of the New Testament or a little bit more. And that's a pretty solid argument. But I, I believe it has more to do It has more to do with Paul's new life in Christ. We have to remember, before Paul met Jesus, his life looked a little different. His life goal, his life mission was to persecute the church. He wanted to, at all costs, stop the spread of the gospel. But when he experienced God's grace in his life, God's forgiveness in his life, he was no longer Saul, who was trying to stop the spread of the gospel, He was Paul who was trying to spread the gospel at all costs. His life was changed by the gospel of grace. So it makes sense that he's so angry and upset with this church for so quickly deserting the true gospel for a lie. And church today, we can be reminded about the true gospel of grace. What the gospel is that Paul first taught these early believers. The second thing that I want to talk about this morning is this, that individually and as a church, we should test everything against God's word. We should test everything against God's word. Many of these Galatian Christians whom Paul had spent so much time with, they were now following a different way. And so soon, a way that was only pretending to be the good news. I said earlier that the churches in Galatia, they had gotten off to a good start. Remember that. The churches were growing. People were coming to Christ. But I was reminded this week, and this is true in my life. It's true in your life. It's true in the life of our church. It's not just about how you start. It's also about how you finish. They had allowed these false teachers into the church and they were now being fooled by a group who was deliberately twisting the, tr- the truth about Jesus. Th- this particular false gospel, at this time, it came wrapped in an attractive package because it's something that everybody else was doing. Well, I guess if they're being circumcised and we need that for salvation, then I guess we have to do it as well, right? I'm, I'm here to tell you, if I'm a grown man, I'm not doing it. <laughs> it's not gonna happen. But isn't that how temptation usually looks in our own lives? Temptation always comes presented, always wraps itself in an attractive package. It looks good. And the initial experience might feel good. But it always leaves us empty. It always leaves us wanting more. And this false gospel will leave you wanting more because it's not the true gospel. 1 Thessalonians 5.21, it says, But test everything everything and hold fast to what is good. You know, it's been said that the average person is exposed to thousands of advertisements every single week, many of them extremely attractive in their packaging, extremely attractive in appearance. 
And if this is true, if this statistic is true, that means that thousands of times every single week, we are being told that we need something more in life. We need something more in life. Even though it's probably not nearly as often, I fear that the same can be said about our Christian walk and the Christian life. I believe that we are bombarded in our culture today with ideas and truth claims of what it means to be a true follower of Christ. And I fear that a lot of these truth claims are adding to the true gospel of grace that Paul first preached to the church. And friends, that that is a dangerous ground to be on. When we start adding things to what Jesus accomplished on the cross for salvation, that is a dangerous place to be in. This makes me think about how many messages in our culture today promise to be good news. Remember, they come wrapped in an attractive package. They, they look like good news. They, they might taste like good news or sound like good news. You know, here's, here's 24 months of, of 0% int- you know, financing. That sounds like good news, but you get 18 months into it and you're still paying on it. What about this? I talk to young families often, and I, I hear of either the husband or the wife getting this offer of, of a raise in pay, a raise in salary. And that sounds like such a good thing, except it's going to require them to be away from their family more, away from their kids more. Is that gain really worth the sacrifice? I don't think a raise is always the best thing. Our culture says it is, but it's not always the best thing. What about in our culture today, wanting the benefits of marriage outside of that covenant relationship of marriage that God has designed? This is one of the more prevalent things in our culture today. Again, it's being told to us that this is good news, that it tastes good, it feels good, but every single time it's going to leave you empty and wanting more because it's not how God designed it. It's a false gospel. What about all of the truth claims in our culture, the, these cultural movements that claim to be a message of love? They look that way on the outside, but they're really redefining the word love, and they're really selfish in nature, and we see over time how they harm families and they harm a culture. Again, it looks great on the outside. It looks like good news, but church, it is a false gospel. And I think I see this one more than anything. Someone saying that they want to believe in Jesus, but they don't want the change that comes along with that. Maybe they want the benefits of being a Christian, they just don't want some of the other things. So an example of this, would I can be a Christian and not really live like a Christian, and that's usually followed with, don't judge me. Well, as we study the New Testament church, here's something that we're going to learn, that if you are in Christ, Christians can actually judge one another. Not in terms of salvation, but in terms of holding each other accountable. We're not supposed to judge people who are outside the faith, but if you're here today and you're saying, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus, you are to be held accountable in your faith. It's a false gospel to say otherwise. I've talked about this before, but I'm seeing a growing movement in the American church that encourages people to use things outside of God's word 
um, to help them discern and judge if they really know Jesus and are living for Jesus. So another way to say this is if I have an experience, if I have an emotional feeling, or if what we're doing is popular, then it must be from God. It must be God's will. So uh, going a little deeper with this, if someone has an emotional experience at church, a popular message is it must be from God. So if church was good this week, if the music was hopping, you know, if the message really spoke to me, then God moved. And we use that as evidence of God's work in our life. If a sermon is preached and it sounds good and makes you feel something, then it must be true. Or if a a particular program is attracting a lot of people, and there's numerical growth, then we must be doing God's will, right? Because we're seeing people come together. See, church, there's so much danger in building our lives on a foundation that places our faith in experiences, feelings, and programs. And that doesn't mean to say we're never going to have those things. I think it's an experience when we come together as the church. You experience something. It's a good thing. We have feelings. We've talked about this before. God has made us as emotional beings. We have feelings of anger and sadness and joy and happiness and all across the spectrum. And we have those because God wants us to have those and to to use those in the right way. And programs, I think, can be great. They get people serving together, right? And, And we do see numerical growth out of that and spiritual growth. But my point is this. Paul's reminding us that that should not be our foundation. And within those things, if we're hearing a different message that that claims to be a true gospel, and it's really not, we should run the other way. Paul is saying this. He's saying Jesus plus anything else for salvation is a false gospel. So Jesus plus works for salvation, that's a false gospel. We see that over and over again in the New Testament. Jesus plus an emotional experience for salvation, that's a false gospel. Jesus plus a particular style of music or the way that we think we should dress on Sunday mornings, if you add that to Jesus, that is a false gospel. I would say Jesus wants nothing to do with that. And we try to define and mold the church into what we want it to be. And instead, our focus should be on the true gospel of grace that's given through faith in Christ. We should focus on Jesus. So Jesus plus anything else for salvation, that is a false gospel. And I would say, we, we, again, back to that second point, we should, tr- we should test everything against God's word. I actually saw this question come up in a, in a post this week. How do we know if I'm doing God's will? How do I know if it's right? Start by testing it against God's word, against the authority of Scripture. Number three, this is where it gets a little bit more exciting. We are freed by the gospel. We are freed by the gospel. Romans chapter five, verse eight says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. God showed his love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. You don't have to get your life in order before you come to Jesus, amen? Oh, we can do better than that. Church, that is a truth that is so deeply rooted in Scripture. We don't have to change our life up before we come to Christ. Amen? Amen. Because in God's love, 
He died for sinners while they were in sin. It's like while you were at your worst. Man, there's some days I feel at my worst. (laughs) I feel like I don't have much to offer. And Jesus reminds me that he is enough. I don't have to be enough. He is enough. See, not only is this gospel of grace the foundation for where Paul's going to go throughout the rest of this, this letter, it's also the foundation for all Christians. And this is hard for us because in a performance-based society that, that we live in, it can be extremely difficult for people to accept a message that promises salvation by God's grace as a free gift and received through having a personal faith in Jesus without having to work for it. That can be a hard message to accept because you go to your jobs and, and you work for that raise. You work for that recognition. You work to get that, that project done. Even in our earthly relationships, we, we try to work at those things to make them what we want them to be. And Jesus is saying, when it comes to salvation, there's nothing that you can do to earn it. You can't go on enough mission trips. You can't serve enough Sundays in the children's ministry. And I want to brag on you guys just for a second, okay? I've been in a few churches where the older members in the church actually say, I'm not going to serve in that way anymore because I've already done my time. I haven't heard that one time in the past year since I've been here. Praise God. I see a heart for Jesus in this church, a heart that loves the Lord and wants to serve. But we must never forget the grace of God on our own lives. We can never earn our salvation. It's only by God's free gift of grace and through having a personal faith in Jesus that we are saved. And it's this gospel that frees us in life. In coming weeks, we're going to talk a little bit more. What does that mean? What does it mean to be free in Christ? What does that free us from? What are we now freed up to do and to be? Those things are coming. But as we end today, I want to read a passage of scripture from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Again, part of a letter written to the church. And I feel like this goes right alongside with what Paul is is saying to the church, the, the multiple churches in Galatia, as well as us this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 7, says this. Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, Of the good news, the one I preached to you before, you welcomed it then and you still stand firm in it. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believed something that was never true in the first place. So I pass on to you what was most important and what has also been passed on to me. So here it is, church. According to the Apostle Paul, what is most important Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve, and after that he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at once, once, uh, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Church, today we can be reminded that we are saved by God's free gift of grace through faith in Jesus. Amen? We can be reminded about how we should trust only, really, the word of God. We should test everything against God's word. Everything that we hear. If I preach a sermon, test it against the word of God. I'm only human. 
If you hear something in a song, if, if you're having a conversation with a friend about what's good and what's, what's evil, test everything against the word of God. And we've also talked today about how this true gospel of grace is what frees us. And we're going to unpack that a little bit more in the coming weeks.